today with Gary Tomlinson. Gary, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for sharing the art of telling with us. I know this is a, a subject that you've spoken on before, but it has such resonance today because we're in a world of massive distractions, electronic, while we're driving and we're not driving. It's incredible, the, the amount of input and information that's coming at us and the amount that we think we have to sort of regurgitate and deal with all the time. But the art of telling, one of the little secrets that you pointed out today in our workshop before we started on the mic and we talked about this, is really at the heart of this, incredibly, is listening. Yes, uh, which was a surprise to me when I started on my journey of getting professional speaking education. You know, I actually went there to learn how to speak better from the podium, and I was there to speak. Uh, what does listening have to do with being a good um, presenter from the stage? But professional speaking education is all about how to communicate effectively, and at the very least, that's mutual understanding. And listening has everything to do with it. In fact, it may be the most important first step. Gary, you do a lot of work with CEOs. That's part of your business in, in the work that you do uh, with Tomlinson Associates. Tell us a little bit about that and also tell us the why behind you going out, speaking at some of our finest universities in North Carolina and, and, and really encouraging people in the way that you do. And then we're going to come back to the art of telling. All right. Uh, as a business consultant, I specialize in strategy execution. And those are fancy buzzwords that basically I work with CEOs to help them teach their companies how to plan and execute down to an individual level. We do quite well in our businesses on how to make a good strategic plan. But then we bring the tablets down from the mountain. We bring everyone together. We have the town meeting. Uh, we all raw, raw. And then everyone goes back to do what they were normally going to be doing anyway. And, you know, other than the fact of maybe some sales metrics and some financial metrics, we don't really look at our business plan again until the end of the year when we see, hey, how, how have we done? Well, execution happens at an individual level no matter how we slice it. And although only a few people, maybe the CEO, the executive team, work on the strategic plan, the whole company works on executing it. So it just makes sense for a CEO to make sure that their company does, not only do they know how to plan, but they know how to execute that plan, and they know how to do that down to an individual level. Thirteen years ago, I wanted to become a better speaker, and so I started seeking out classes in professional speaking education. I was blown away by this education, and also by the fact that I'd never heard it before. In my own businesses, we brought in lots of education on management, leadership, communication, gender communication, sometimes better said, gender miscommunication. But there was never a component of professional speaking education in any of that other education. But when I started taking professional speaking classes, boy, it's all about leadership, all about good management. It can help us be a better parent a better spouse, a better friend, a better lover, a better boss, a better employee. And unless you seek that education out, you're never going to get it. Now you asked me a question about why I work with universities. This was something that I wish I could have possessed earlier on. If I could go back to my beginning, I'd like to have been a better communicator from day one. Well here's an interesting statistic. When students today 
when they graduate from college. Some will be graduating this December, others will be graduating in May. They'll have had approximately 32 semesters of schooling from first grade through the end of college. And if you ask them how many different math or science related classes have they had, you know, you might get in the 20s. What about English and language classes? You know, close to that as well. Geography, history, you know, maybe a little less, but still a good number. Then if you ask, how many classes on listening have you taken? It'll be zero. How many classes on being a better communicator, a better conversationalist, a better presenter? Maybe one, and they had to take it. So here are the two most important skills to the quality of our life, both personally and professionally, knowing how to be an active listener and an assertive speaker. And we've had no formal education. And when we get into the workplace, we're not going to be getting that either. We won't be getting it there as well. So this is education I believe you have to seek out. Well, since getting in front of a group of people is the number one fear in the book of list, most of us aren't going to go after that education. And that's such a shame. And why I like working with the students is maybe I can influence them from day one. Because most of their peers will not pay the price to learn to speak from the podium. But for those who do, boy, the reward is enormous. And now with this, with, with this generation, they've grown up with technology. So they're maybe shyer as a generation than in a generation before. They're more comfortable communicating with their thumbs or tweeting, text messaging. You know, but interpersonal communication skills will still be huge in their life. They're just going to be less proficient at it. So those that do, boy, what a difference it's going to make. Would you allow us to be the audience today, to be the, to be the students today? Because it's so important to listen isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm an only child and been told I'm an alpha male. And I'm much rather talk. Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about my product or service. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. But the art of telling, the reason I have the word art in there, is that it's more about effective communication, about mutual understanding, about, and, and the way, only way that can happen is through listening. Now, Active listening skills, these are skills that we can all use to make our own. You know, if you're trying to make a great first impression, maybe you can do that by asking an open-ended question. You know, John, for example, if I was coming in and we were meeting for the first time, I might ask you about Pro Career Inc., but I might ask you, how did you get here? Why are you doing this? Why are you working with other executives to help them in this difficult time in their life during this transition period? Why are you doing that? And then I would listen. I would use my acknowledgement skills, things like I'd have my head going up and down, letting you know that I'm, I'm paying attention to you. I might even take notes. I might make audible noises like, mm-hmm, I'm with you. I got you. Go ahead. Right. To really give you the impression that I'm paying attention. But I'm also learning things. I'm learning things about you that I would never have known without asking that question, because typically you're not going to tell me that, especially getting into the reasons. What's your intention behind this company? You know, what, what mostly is causing you to do this? You know, that's not things that we're always comfortable with. And predominantly, interview training often is how to answer the most difficult questions. What if they pose this? What if this scenario comes up? That's all good. It's fine. It's what you should do to prepare and have 
very thought out, smart, individualized answers. But the art of asking questions throughout and creating a conversation actually can add to your credibility with that person. Oh, you, as Dale Carnegie says, you can make more friends in two months by being interested in the other person than you can in two years by trying to get them to be interested in you. So starting off by asking these open-ended questions and being interested in the other person, boy, you're making a, a great first impression with them. But here's something else. You're getting valuable information on the insight of this person. And you can pre-frame your key messages that they, you want them to know about you. And you have a better idea of what will hit their hot button. So I talked about asking an open-ended question, about using good acknowledgement skills, such as nodding your head up and down, and verbal encouragement. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And writing notes. But also having your body language that is paying attention to them. Let them see that you're, you know, you're making eye contact, that you are part of this conversation as a listener. But then you can do another technique that's called paraphrasing. John, if I heard you say this correctly, this is what you were saying. Or, boy, John, I, that was interesting. Here's what I got from that. Then you have the ability to say, Gary, that's exactly what I meant. Or, no, that's not quite what I meant. And is and that happens too both ways. It, you may be paraphrasing it pretty pretty exactly, but when you do and you say it back to that person, they may say, "Well, I, I didn't quite mean that." However, let me add this. And without that step, they would go away thinking I spoke to to John or I spoke to Gary. Gary got what I had to say. I'm sitting here going, "I heard John." And how I heard what you said could have been so different than what you meant that you go away thinking you communicated with me. I go away thinking I heard what you said, and there was a big mismatch. Maybe that's why communication is the number one frustration among employees in businesses. Really? So it's uh, communication with all levels. It could be their peers. It could be with subordinates. It could be with their supervisors. That really causes fray and and upset and distraction and dissatisfaction in the workplace? Oh, yeah. I, when I work with CEOs and especially their executive teams, I often hear this from them. They will say things like, gosh, you know, we're really close-knit group here. Um, we get it. We understand one another. There seems to be a disconnect, though, with the rest of the company. They just don't seem to be coming along like we do. Well, no wonder. You know, here the CEO and executive team have spent days, hours, weeks, months together. And then they take all this involvement with one another, put together a little presentation, and take 10 minutes to get it to the rest of the company and think, okay, we've all communicated. <laughs> they weren't privy to this conversation, were they? They weren't privy to it. They, you know, it's like the old um, adage uh, um, from the Golden Rules of manager's book by Frank McNair. He says, you got to remember that people weren't born in your house, <laughs> or raised in your house, I should say, meaning that what you know, they may not have those same experiences. And nothing is so simple that it can't be misunderstood. Mm. That's worth remembering right there. What are a couple of other tips on effective communications, that initial burst of, of meeting someone for the first time. You often talk about that. You talked about connection today. Yeah, this is... And I don't want to skip ahead, but this is yeah. so important, that, that first, those first moments. Typically, as, as human beings, 
for most of us, when we're trying to present to somebody, either one-on-one, one-on-five, or one-on-five-hundred, we'll lead with our content. Here's the stuff I want you to know. We'll start polishing with delivery, and then we'll add on connection. This is something I got from Alan Hoffler of Millswick Communication when I took his class. I just thought this was brilliant because what he goes, what we should do is we should start and open with connection, then drive impressions with our delivery, and then add on content. So So what we're trying to do is we're really trying to connect with the person first because without that connection, they'll never hear what we're having to say. I think that's incredibly important. But how do you do that in a way that doesn't seem phony? You know, you, you, you see something on the wall, uh, a picture, something like that. People are interested in pictures. But we've heard some of those, but sometimes those feel like, well, someone's already done that. Or that's been done before. Or that sounds a little cliche. How do you listen and look for the signs to connect in a, in a really real way, authentic way? What are a couple of tips there, just to give us a, a little bit of an edge over here's, the typical? Here's what makes sense to me. When I was um, involved with a magazine called Women's Edge, I was the co-founder uh, of that magazine, a big part of what I did, especially early on, was to go out to female executives in the area and talk to them about the magazine. Well, one of the things I was told to do in interviewing women or in this communication was to ask them a question. And the question I came up with was, before we start, how did you get here? Meaning, how did they get in their position and such? Uh, lots of times they would laugh and go, oh, you don't want to hear that. And I said, no, I do. Well, sometimes it was a five-minute answer, and sometimes it was a 45-minute answer. But during that period, I used my active listening skills. I acknowledged. I paid attention. I took notes. I paraphrased. And then I might even probe and ask more questions. But what happened was I set the stage for them to listen to me because I had listened to them first. But what else happened is, oh, my gosh, the, the amount of knowledge and insight I got into this person by that an- by them answering that question it allowed me to pre-frame some of my key messages that I wanted to share with them using their own story so that's what makes sense to me i know that we can see something oh you were you know in this particular case i see on your wall bowling green state university that's ohio mm-hmm. well i have a connection to ohio born in columbus so i would say and and, and i would would say oh i see that you're bowling green I then would let you know that I have a connection to Ohio, and then it's something we can talk about. And so it's not just something that I know from a technique that I said, okay, I picked something in your <laughs> right. office, let me just just come out, because that'll, that'll come across as fake, because you know what kind it was. And when you know you're interviewing, and that could mean job interview, it could mean you're a business call as a salesperson. It could mean just another business, uh, uh, not another business meeting, every meeting's important. You could do background work on even before you got into the room to predetermine some of these co- potential connections. Oh yeah, let's on LinkedIn through bios, through Google searching someone's name, through maybe talking to someone who worked with that person and knowing a little bit of their hot buttons. I see so many people show up to meetings, they don't know who they're talking to, and and I don't require people to check out my bio or whatever. But it would be nice to say, wow. Well, you know, I noticed that we're both from Ohio. I, you know, I read that on your bio, and uh, 
At least we have that in common. I mean, just you, that. But you also show that if someone came into me and said, Gary, I, I checked out your profile on LinkedIn, and I've been through your website, and I've looked at the education, and I got this, and I got this out of that, uh, already I'm a fan of theirs. Right. You know, because I'm, I read I, I'm this in, that you said, and, you know, I thought that was important. And not just to sort of uh, compliment them or snow them a little bit, say, you know, one of the, one of the things you, you had in your book review that, that moved me, and it's a book that I'd been me- meaning to read, was. Yeah. It, and that really, you know, I applied that the following week, and it actually worked with one of my clients. I mean, wouldn't you be a fan of that person oh, pretty gosh, immediately? Yeah. They, 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 they read your content, and they acted on it. And they Amazing. came across as someone that um, was interested in me, and it, and it came across that way to me. Sincerity, authenticity. Yeah. So the art of telling starts with that connection as opposed to an agenda. Oh, yeah. One of the, one of the first lessons I learned in professional speaking was it isn't about you mm-hmm. as a presenter. It's about your message and about your audience needing to hear that message. And if you don't have a message your audience needs to hear, maybe you don't have a right to be in front of them. But if you do have that message that that audience needs to hear, man, you've got every right to be in front of them. And don't we all have a message to send? Shouldn't we all be able to to come up with something that matters, whether we're speaking to one-on-one, a small group, or a large group? Oh, can't, yeah. Can't I, we bring that? I, I can't think of, you know, I'm sure there's been a couple people, and I was probably wrong in this assessment, but everyone I come across with, always has something to deliver, something to give, something that could be valuable. We just have to find that what that is. And on the other hand, we have to be willing to give it. You know, I can't give to you what I think is important. I need to give to you what you think is important. As you, you have spoken to thousands and thousands and one-on-one with some of the top leaders, at, at least in the Triangle and in North Carolina and beyond, really, What's one of the central characteristics that you, that you feel like you've learned from the art of telling in communicating with them to be authentic? Uh, I mean, I think you yeah, already went over a, it. Yeah, but, but there's a there's a couple points. One is is the importance of storytelling. When I started my career, when I was just a puppy, I graduated from from college and went right to work in surgery. And I worked as an operating room technician and then got into surgical assisting. And I had worked along residents that taught me how to identify anatomy, handle tissue, how to suture, how to cut, how to tie, how to do my side of the surgery, if you will. <laughs> and although I was an avid student, what I got from them was they were reinforcing what they had just learned by teaching. So teaching has become my richest source of learning. But also, right after that time, I got hired away from the hospital to pioneer U.S. surgical stapling instruments. And I was the youngest person in the United States to be doing that. And I was failing miserably. And I called the person up that hired me, and I said, I'm too young. And he goes, well, don't do anything. Let me come down and visit you. And he asked what I was doing. And I said, I'm just following the technique that I was taught in school, you know, from, from the U.S. surgical school. And he says, Gary, um, go ahead and, and disregard that. Go tell him a story. And he talked to me about the importance of storytelling. So that along, you know, and that's something you hear in professional speaking education as well. Learn to tell a good story. 
because as a presenter, you'll remember more of what you've said or what you're going to say. You'll use your tools better, like your facial expressions, your energy, your passion, your body language, your gestures. But the person listening to you will remember more of what you've said to them. So retention is greater. So storytelling to me is the contact, you know, is, is, is sort of the, the um, uh, I'm gapping sort of, sort of the, um, it, it's just the, the, it's, it's, the, it's the currency of human contact. Wow, that was way better than <laughs> what I was thinking. That is way well, I didn't think I was going to get thinking. it out. But you, it's so important that you talked about and have talked about verbal, vocal, visual impact. But the but to tell that story and to tell it from the heart, it's so important that if you have you, and almost anything can be manufactured into a pretty darn good story. I mean, it could be a, something very small, uh, a, a small achievement that has a great story behind it. Oh, yeah. Maybe the big achievement sort of was doesn't have the best story. But how you f- people always want to know what, what kind of uh, challenge did you face, the action you put behind it, and then, then what was the result? And, then, and were you able to come out maybe better? And what did you learn? Yeah. And what's the? It's it's amazing how we're we'll front load statistics information. That's all very important. But when you find out, well, how did you get there? What was the journey like? And we don't concentrate on that. I think that, I think we lose audiences. I know I've I want to cut to the chase. Here's the bottom line. Here's my agenda. And I forgot to say, look, here's the pain it took to get there, and here's the reward, and here's what I learned. If all we hear from a speaker is, this is how wonderful I was, here's how successful <laughs> I was, here's about all the accomplishments I've done. I'm starting to turn down the volume, right? And I haven't made many mistakes. Um, I think for most of us, I don't remember what I've done well in my business journey. I have to, to reflect on that. But I remember a lot of my pain <laughs> and what I learned from it. Because that's, you know, when you get spanked in business like that, um, those are the things that stick with you. But then how did you persevere? How did you come out of it? I think that's what people want to hear. That's, uh, that's human nature. That's what gives us hope. That, you know what, I'm going through a difficult time, but there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel for me as well. I talked to a number of high-level top company hiring managers last Friday, and they said exactly what you're saying. They, they wanted to hear the, the struggle. What are your mistakes? How did you overcome? What did you do when you didn't do something right? Uh, uh, recruiters like to do that to people. People like to know, how did you overcome that problem, that pain? How important is that in telling? your story in the art of talent. Well, I think going back what what we talked about earlier is connection. Mm-hmm. One of the things I had said earlier is that one of the first lessons I learned was it's not about you. But here's an interesting statement. You can't separate the message from the messenger. You can't separate the speech from the speaker. What that's saying is that what we say is tied directly into who we are as a person as well. And so it doesn't matter how great your message is, how great your content is, if you're not a good messenger of it, or people don't think you're authentic as a messenger of it, they're not going to hear it. I mean, two things that you know, we, we don't talk about on the radio, we don't talk about from stages, typically is religion and politics. 
but I'll use both of those as examples from a messenger standpoint. Think about clergy you've seen. I know for myself, I've, I've been clicking channels and I'll see a televangelist and I'll stop and, you know, I've had some reactions like, oh gosh, look at this guy. You know, and I'm, I'm not listening to a thing he said. I'm almost making fun of, of, of his actions. But there have been other televangelists that I've stopped on. 30 minutes later, I'm still, still involved, still listening, and I've heard every word they said. What if they had the same message? They were delivering the same script. One I heard, one I didn't. You can't separate the message from the messenger. So it's important, like we, you know, the three things that make up our image to others is, is vocal, the, I mean, or, or, um, which is the words we use. Visual is how we look saying those words. Um, and then our content. And the verbal. Verbal. And so as we're looking at verbal, the, 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 the content, vocal, how we say it, mm-hmm. visual, how we look saying it, you know, you think, okay, those three things, if those to add up to 100%, would that be 33, 33, 33? Would it be 50, 25, 25, 20, 20, 40? Well, according to the researchers, the statistics that are most often quoted are 7% is your vocal. That's the words. That's our script. Verbal. I mean, I'm sorry, verbal. Mm-hmm. Um, 38% is a vocal how we sound saying those. Mm-hmm. 55% is how we look. Now, I think that the verbal is a little bit more important than just 7%. Sure, as a speaker, but that's my thoughts. But what it's trying to say, and the message we should take away from that, it's not just what we say, but how we say it. And it's not just what we do, but it's how we do it. Mm. And so it goes back to, for those that are listening, you know, when you have something important to say, you need to remember that you can't separate that important message from who you are as a messenger. And if you don't have good delivery skills, they're not going to hear that message. But do we always need to be in any situation, whether it's one-on-one or a group or, or hundreds of people, do we have to be the show, humorous, a jokester, a comedian? Or can, if we've got a message to share, we've got stories to tell, tell them, deliver the message with heart. How, can we Again, do that and get away with it, or do we have to become someone else? Well, it goes back to that connection. Hmm. Most people, that uh, they just want you to be authentic. They be want, real. Be real. Um, how I tell people, you know, when, when you're getting up and being up in front of a group of people, just be yourself, but turn it up a little bit. That's all. If you're not a joke teller, don't tell jokes. If you're not inherently funny, don't try to be. But tell a good story in a conversational way where you are focusing on your audience and your message. And you're trying to use your skills and your tools the best you can to connect those two. You'll be your best. You know, and like and, and, and presentations, another way to say it, presentations should really be built on the listener's future and not the presenter's past. For example, don't tell me about your grass seed. I don't need to hear about how it was produced and all the chemicals and all the steps it went through. All I want to hear about is how pretty my yard is going to be and how angry my neighbor's going to be when he gets <laughs> up in the morning and sees how pretty it is. <laughs> Go on with another example there. I think that's very important. 
that, that people don't need to know how the sort of the sausage <laughs> is made or the grass seed is. It goes back again to presentations should be built on the listener's future. Again, when I, we were talking about the questioning, when I would, if I was to ask you coming in using you as an example, John, how did you get here? I would take what I heard you say and share with me, and as I was building my key messages back to you, I would um, make sure that I would frame them in such a way that went back to what I already know is important from your perspective. And it goes back to listening. And in a presentation, in a situation where you're, you're giving and sending your message and we're going out there and doing it, at what point does a message start? You have mentioned that being authentic doesn't mean just when you're handed the microphone. It means when you, I mean, tell oh, us more yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, an example that I gave is, um, and I'll tell on myself, coming here this morning. To, to do the presentation for your group. There was traffic, school buses coming out for the first time, people were driving a little nuts. And it would be in my nature to to want to help them become better drivers by expressing my opinion to them. Of course. <laughs> but you know what, what if I did? What if I was a jerk on the road to somebody next to me? Because I'm in a hurry, I'm trying to get here. And I come in and the person I was a jerk to walks in behind me and sits down at the table where I'm going to present to. When you're presenting, it, be, it, it starts when you leave the house. If you're going in for an interview, it starts when you leave the house. Conduct yourself well on the way there. When you're in the building, going up to the office, conduct yourself well. Be polite. Because wouldn't it be horrible if you were nasty or, or pushed somebody out of the way or didn't wait and hold the door open for the elevator? You get up there because you're in a hurry. You got an interview, and the person that's interviewing is the one you pushed out of the way. Isn't that Murphy's law? Isn't yeah. that ju- isn't that justice for a speaker? But really, all of us, it's the hardest part is to bring out the best in yourself. That's what I've found. It's just it's hard to 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 build your own voice. But I think these ideas and this idea that really anyone can work on perfecting the art of telling is critical. What are a few other uh, items for us to work on? Because I think this is a challenge today. It's a challenge for me to hear this and think, wow, I've got 20 years in this particular business and career services, but the day I wake up and think I get it, I don't. There's always something to work on. What are a few other things that we can work on that we, that we, there's hope out there. We can get better at this at any age, any phase of our career. I, I think there's a number of things we can do. There's books out there. There's information on the Internet. Uh, one of the first steps is to say, you know what, this is education I need to know more about. I need to have more of. Because we then don't go, get it in and We don't get it. And we don't get it in our businesses. You have no. to seek it out. And like I said, most of us won't because we don't ever plan on being on stage. Well, here's where the shame, the crime is in that. 99% of the usefulness of this education is in our everyday life. It isn't when you're on stage. It's with you and I are talking right now. It's trying to, to tell the mechanic about the noise that your car's made for the last two months until the day when you drove it into a shop. Uh, it's, it's with it's, your kids. It's with your spouses. It's with your friends. It is. That's who we you know, make the most mistakes with, probably. And uh, at, the very, at the very least, we want communication to be mutual understanding 
And as I said, most of us won't pay the price to learn this. But for those who do, boy, the reward is enormous. Um, we'll be one of the first people hired if you can speak well. You'll be one of the last people to let go. Others will think that you are a source of knowledge within your industry. People will think you're a source of knowledge outside your industry. People will put you on their shoulders and carry you to the top if you're a good orator. We've seen that with our politicians. We've seen that with our business figures, both good and bad, and how important speaking skills are. And it's something that, um, you know, especially I think for parents that are listening to this, boy, if you can guide your children, especially today, what a difference, how much they will stand out from those they compete with. Especially that generation. Gary Tomlinson, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing. I hope you come back very soon. Love to have you come back to continue this conversation. Will do. Thank you for having me. Thank you.